Today is Monday, December 4th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A former U.S. ambassador was just arrested for spying for Cuba. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, you can do that via email. Quick Start Podcast at cbn.org joining me to get through the news of the crate today billy hallowell on this monday morning bright and early billy how are you i'm doing well i'm doing well excited to be here to launch another week yeah uh, gonna kick off another week here uh, news of the cray as as it is always each and every day but we're in december here the home stretch towards christmas it's incredible it's here already time is flying but there is a lot to get to billy we've got some persecution just keeps ramping up in Nigeria. Yeah, this is a heartbreaking story involving the murder of a pastor's wife. And we're, we're, you know, we're going to keep on this Nigeria story because I think a lot of other outlets are not. And it's incredibly important. Yeah, you see that a lot in the mainstream media. They just don't really have interest in this sort of thing when uh, Christians are under attack. So we're going to keep on that, like you said, Billy, and look forward to the details there. Uh, on the focus story on the main thing today a big survey on religious freedom in the workplace and how it's kind of on shaky ground we'll get into the details there with madison seals on the main thing but first we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds the former u.s ambassador has been arrested and accused of covertly serving cuba manuel roca former u.s ambassador to bolivia was arrested in miami he's 73 and he's accused of secretly serving as an agent of Cuba's government, arrested on a criminal complaint. The details are expected in court, in his court appearance today. The complaint alleges that Roca worked to promote Cuban government interests. Federal law, of course, requires registration with the Justice Department for those doing foreign political bidding in the US. In recent years, We've seen increased enforcement of this kind of foreign lobbying and his 25 year diplomatic career was in both Democratic and Republican administrations, mostly in Latin America during the Cold War. And Texans rookie CJ Stroud is advocating for prison reform with a message on his cleats during the game. He used the My Cleats, My Cause movement that the NFL is doing to champion prison reform during their game against the Broncos. Stroud's been an outspoken Christian and is having a sensational rookie season for the Houston Texans. His dad is serving a 38-year-to-life sentence currently. And the IDF is expanding its ground operations to the whole of Gaza Strip. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. And a lot happening now. And Billy, I was... Uh, on, on Israel, of course, the fighting continues that we've, we had that pause and now that's over and the media is at it again. I, I couldn't help. I'm, I'm scanning the headlines. I'm reading all the news yesterday and you have the French president, Emmanuel Macron saying, uh, calling on Israel to better define its goals for the conflict and kind of putting the pressure on Israel. And it also said the U S is stepping up pressure on Israel to do more to protect civilians. And it's, it's those sorts of headlines that are just kind of frustrating because we wouldn't be in this predicament if Hamas didn't go and snatch hundreds of 
hostages and bring them back into Gaza and force them sort of into this action. What else was Israel supposed to do here? And then now it's like, oh, Israel, you better be careful. And where's the pressure on Hamas? Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, this goes back to the initial issue here, which is that this is not a normal dispute between one party and another yeah. where there's going to be some sort of victory and it ends. This is a dispute in which one party wants the other one obliterated and murdered and killed and off the face of the earth. And so that's that's the complication that you have here after this attack, knowing that this the intended goal here is to get Israel to no longer exist. And so yeah. It seems the goal is to stop Hamas. <laughs> you know, that that's the goal. So I don't know why people need that defined further. And I, I would again mention, I don't think there's a country in history that has gone to more lengths to try to yeah. alert people that they're coming, you know, let them know you need to move on. We're going to be attacking this area. Uh, so it's it's a little bizarre to watch. Right, it is, because that, that especially gives the enemy a chance to move too. So uh, it's it's obviously going to be a detriment to them when you talk about their strategy and their war strategy, but they still do it anyway because they don't want to kill innocent civilians. And I also mentioned in the headlines there this C.J. Stroud story it's very interesting i don't know the full details surrounding what happened to his father but we see this issue of prison reform come up billy and sometimes it gets a lot of bipartisan support so i think it's an interesting story to talk about um, but I, I mean i don't know the specifics of his dad's case i don't know uh, how justified or unjustified this particular sentence was but um, stroud has been outspoken about his faith and so i found it very interesting um, cause I didn't know that about his dad up until uh, I saw this news. Yeah. You know, I think prison reform, I mean, look at the, at the end of the day, it's really a healthy thing to be able to look at our systems and say, Hey, you know, are we, are we serving people the best way we possibly can? Are people being rehabilitated the way that they can? I think as Christians, this may not be something we think about a lot, but it probably is something we should be thinking about with all of our systems. Like how, how do we make sure we're doing the right thing by people and, and by the victims as well of whatever the, the crimes are. So I don't know a lot about his particular story, but I, I do think, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're not letting people off at the same time that you don't have people serving sentences that are insane for something smaller when there's a bigger crime that people are serving. Cause you hear these stories sometimes yeah. and you think how in the world did that? Does sentence our system come out? Yeah. That? Right. Yeah. yeah. It does seem to happen uh, from time to time where, you have these offenses that are relatively minor and you're like, wait a minute, what they slap down a, and, and then you have sometimes violent criminals and they're out, they're out in like 10 minutes and you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's always good to be, I mean, wherever, I mean, look, our system is probably the best in the world, but you know, comparatively, but at the same time, it's good to be constantly checking in on it and adjusting it and making sure we're not just letting people rot who shouldn't be, uh, rotting in in a jail cell so all right well, we're gonna move on now to nigeria and the wife of a nigerian pastor was murdered last month by terrorists so what happened here what's going on in nigeria yeah i mean we, we continue to see these stories in nigeria this particular story is pretty heartbreaking um this woman's name was olukawami moses she was the wife of a pastor um with the redeemed christian church of god in nigeria and on no november 17th she was traveling on a highway with her two-month-old baby when terrorists apparently shot and killed her as she was just on her way back home she would, was uh, visiting another area of nigeria where her family was from on her way home and she was slaughtered by terrorists and just completely disturbing and heartbreaking situation what did her husband say at 
the funeral. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's heartbreaking. You know, a couple of the quotes that were out there, he said, goodbye, you know, righteous soul until resurrection's morning. You know, he, he just basically said, you know, I love you, keep resting. And um, until we meet again, just, just a heartbreaking, I mean, this seems to be a young couple, by the way, you know, they've got this two month old baby and here's this pastor, you know, at his wife's funeral after she was slaughtered by terrorists. It's just, you know, you, you think we live in America. This is not something that we have to deal with, you know, on a daily basis. And yet this seems to be becoming normal life in Nigeria for believers. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned, sort of escaping the national uh, headlines and I'm sure others are speaking. I mean, this is something that they're dealing with in Nigeria. What are some of the locals saying about this? I mean, are they just sort of, is this par for the course from this point or are they speaking out? Yeah, there was one guy, Emmanuel Yakabu, who spoke to Morningstar News. And, you know, we don't know the ins and the outs of why or how or who, you know, did this to this pastor's wife. But according to Emmanuel, um, he had text messaged with uh, Morningstar News and he said incidents like these persist unchallenged. You know, mm-hmm. that this is something not only is it happening all of the time. Um, but, but it's not being, there's no challenge to it. There's no, you know, he was calling on the police, on the military, even though they're on these highways and roads to be more active, to try to prevent these things, right? Because it should, it shouldn't be that difficult to to stop terrorists from shooting people on a highway, you would assume. And of course, I don't know what these highways look like. Um, but you know, based on our experience, if this was happening, if there was a road where you knew this was happening in yeah. America, it would be stopped immediately. Right. You'd ramp up some security. You'd do you'd do something to try at least try and and slow down or stop these sort of incidents from happening. But speak to the crisis in Nigeria kind of more broadly, Billy. What do we know about it so far? What's been going on? Yeah, you know, we we actually recently had Jeff King on the show here on the main thing. He was the president of International Christian Concern, um, and that. You know, for for Jeff, he's one of the world's probably most knowledgeable people on this issue. They had put out a report on persecution and just one of the organizations that has done this. We've got Open Doors USA and others. Um, but, But here's what he said. He said, most Americans have no idea what's going on in Nigeria. But imagine this for the last 20 years probably up to 100,000 Christians have been murdered. Mm. Three and a half million Christians, their lands have been taken from them, and the government has pretty much done nothing. So again, we see that theme of nothing's really happening, right? Like, yeah, these murders are happening, and they shouldn't be happening, obviously. And you have a population, and we've mentioned this, but it's important to say again, that this is not like a 2% Christian population. Nigeria has almost half of the population is Christian. So you're, this is a massive part of the population that are believers that are under fire by Islamic extremists. And, you know, again, the Biden administration last December, and here we are in December again, we'll have to see what happens. They declined to add Nigeria to the countries of particular concern list, which is a State Department list that the Trump administration had actually added Nigeria to this list. And it's an important list because it sort of says, hey, these countries have religious freedom problems. But in 2020, the Biden administration removed Nigeria from that list. And it's been widely speculated that that removal was really rooted in politics. Um, as far as King, when we spoke with him, he said, well, oil is a factor. Nigeria has that resource. And as a result, um, Nigeria is sort of set apart in the eyes of the world. There, people look the other way, uh, which is pretty sad when you're watching you know, a pastor's wife be murdered on her way home and you're seeing these things happen almost daily now. Yeah, really frustrating when things like this get infected 
by politics because you think about here on the home front and our politicians really make it sound like white nationalism or Christian nationalism is this threat taking over the country that we have to have our full resources towards. But then here you have thousands of Christians being murdered every year in Nigeria. And then they find themselves off of a list like that, where you're going to be able to um, draw attention to it, pay attention to it, hopefully help uh, ease the, this suffering that's going on. And yet they're unable to do it. And it, and because of politics and it's, it's incredibly frustrating. It is. It's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. And it, and it's evil. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, if you're, if you're looking the other way because of oil, you know, I get that we need oil, but uh, come right. on guys, this is, this is just, it's very sad. It's very sad. And, and I think too, persecution's worsening everywhere in the world. And that's something that we have to keep in mind and understand. Uh, but Nigeria is definitely a country to watch on this. Well, yeah. And it is when uh, you see persecution, like you said, around the globe increasing. Part of that is because I think a lot of the globe, we're seeing this with the major invasions that are happening, like this Hamas invasion that happened, like we're seeing with Russia into Ukraine. China is ramping up their rhetoric around Taiwan. And when America has a view, when they're viewed around the world as weak, it's just giving these other countries the opportunity to step in and get away with more stuff because they don't fear any response from America. And then this is just another one of those things that fits under that umbrella. And so uh, we're seeing uh, the results of that. But Billy, appreciate you putting that one on the radar. I know you're going to keep on that story. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing more updates on this and hopefully seeing it uh, go in a better direction. All right, we're going to head over to the main thing now. And last week, consulting firm Pern Condola released the largest ever survey of religion in the workplace. This was over 6,000 people took part in this in the UK and the US. Covered about six different faiths, Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism. While workplaces across the globe may believe they're promoting religious inclusivity, many of their employees say, not so much. Madison Seals talked to Brian Grimm, who's president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, about some of the survey's most interesting and significant findings. That's today's main thing. This is a really important topic considering most of the world is religious and spends a significant portion of their day in some sort of workplace. The last Pew Research study I saw on the breakdown of religious populations around the world showed that more than 8 in 10 people identify with a religious group, so about 84% of the world population. And this study looks at about 6,000 respondents from the most prevalent religious groups. Brian, what are some of the key findings from this survey across all of the religions surveyed? Perhaps the big finding is that across all faith groups, they find that workplaces are less accommodating, less uh, religiously friendly, you could say, than the HR managers think they are. So about 92% of HR managers uh, think that their organizations, their companies are you know, doing a good job on including religion, belief uh, as part of their diversity and making people feel welcome. But you know, nearly half of people surveyed across all the faiths feel like they can't really bring up religion at work. So there's a disconnect between what some of the HR managers think is going on and then what the actual experience of employees. And of course, that makes a huge difference for employee morale, satisfaction, motivation, 
And so this study really points out that there's some work to be done in workplaces to make sure that people of faith feel they're just as welcome as, um, as everyone else. And I want to talk about some of the recommendations from this survey as well. With the war in Israel going on right now, we've seen a huge rise in anti-Semitic acts across the U.S. and around the world. And this has also brought to the surface some foundational discrepancies between faiths and even calls for people of certain faiths to be killed. So my question is, what are some of the recommendations given in response to this study to help organizations overcome workplace barriers? And how should they be used to fight back against anti-Semitic language? and actions as well. Sort of one beginning point uh, that the study recommends is having an individualized approach to people. So rather than saying, well, we have to address, you know, the big issues of the day across the board and everybody needs to be part of that, um, sometimes it might be one or two people that are feeling particularly vulnerable and and reaching out to them and making sure that they feel safe and, with, uh, and protected and, and not discriminated against. You know, that's something that can be done that doesn't require vetting it through legal, you know, any sort of statements when when it's involving cultural or, you know, outside issues brings in a lot of different voices of people who need to weigh in to make sure they're not misspeaking and and misstepping. The other is, you know, developing an inclusive culture. So a a culture where, where people know that whatever's happening on the outside, you know, in here, uh, you're respected and loved. And, uh, and that goes for your, your Jewish employees, your Muslim employees, your Christian employees, your atheist employees. External events seem to try to define people. Uh, it's really important to have that culture where everyone feels valued. And then, you know, a building block of that is is something you can't do at the moment of a crisis, but you need to build up, you could say, religious literacy understanding that faith is important to people in different ways and and having those discussions that sometimes for people it's a matter of belonging i belong to this faith community others it's what they believe you know my belief in you know in god's mercy is what gets me through every day that's what they cling to or another person uh, it might be their behavior is um is you know if you're catholic praying the rosary you know sort of that that practice uh would be something was a behavior that they're doing. So build that knowledge up. And when come when an organization has opened that door to faith expression and religious literacy, when these crises come up, there's a lot more resources uh, to to be able to navigate the challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I also want to mention the 2023 International Ministerial on Freedom of Religion or Belief that you're taking part in, actually. And just the few minutes that we have left, what is one of the biggest takeaways from the ministerial? Well, one one big takeaway is that this ministerial is having focus on not just advocating for freedom of religion or belief for religious freedom, but how to build religious freedom. And that's the panel that I was on today where Templeton Religion Trust and a number of us were speaking about uh, when you make a workplace faith-friendly, that's actually building freedom of religion or belief, including uh, for people that don't have a belief. So you make that place open space where these things can be discussed, and that builds religious freedom. And and this can be done in any country of the world, um, and 
businesses get that because they understand that if you know if you're in India, a Hindi majority India, but they have a huge Muslim population, sizable Christian, Sikh, and other populations. If if you're not including everybody, you're going to lose out on some of the best talent who might happen to be a Christian or a Muslim in a Hindu country, Hindu majority country. So rather than uh, just fighting religious freedom out in courts, you, there's there's alternative ways that just normal people, uh, you know, everybody, most everybody has to have a job. You know, the best way to um, put this to practice is just, you know, from my beliefs, what Christ said, to uh, love God and love your neighbor and love your neighbor as yourself. And that love, nobody can stop you from doing that. So you, you don't have, you know, uh, it was St. Francis of Assisi, you know, the preach all the time with words if necessary, you know, that your life is a witness. And, and, and that's building religious freedom, person at a time, a, a workplace at a time. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time and your insight and your work with the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Thank you, Madison. All right. Thanks so much for that conversation there, Madison. And that's going to leave us with time here on the podcast for one last thing. We've got Psalm 8611. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Mm. And that idea of an undivided heart, yeah. I thought that was pretty pertinent because it's convicting too, right? We're, we're all very divided sometimes with our attention. Yeah, easily distracted. And I mean, we see that from the beginning of time. Um, people see the shiny thing, see the other idols floating around and we, we wander over to those. So yes, focus on God and keep that undivided heart. Great way to kick off the week. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise, we shall return tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.